Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. This week, we have uh, as our guest, Eric Boyette, who is the secretary of the North Carolina Department of Transportation. He's been in that role since February 2020. And of course, transportation is uh, so important to all of us in North Carolina because it not only involves our highway system, which is one of the largest in the country in itself, but also uh, it involves aviation ferries, railroads, public transit, and bicycle and pedestrian transportation, which we forget about from time to time. Well, Eric, that's uh, you have lots of hats that you wear, but uh, I guess the one that we will end up spending more time talking about will be highways and roads because m- more people use those than any of the others or all of the others put together. Um, and, of course, North Carolina is growing. And uh, that puts a lot of heat on you to uh, uh, keep the uh, the uh, construction up to date, and that's 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 a big deal. Yes, sir, it is. It is. But you know, like you said, with the second largest uh, road network system, and also we also have the second largest ferry system in the nation. I, did, I didn't know that. So yes, is, yeah, that's so, interesting. It is, and we've got a lot of growth um, coming to our, you know, to our, our great state. You know, if you look in the future to um, twenty fifty, we're looking at about fourteen million uh, people coming up from, you know, about ten point four in uh, twenty twenty. So, yeah, we got a lot of a lot of stress. We got a lot of a lot of good good things coming. Uh, you look at just in commerce itself. You, you know, we talk about the growth with. Um, Toyota doing their investment in North Carolina, VinFast putting their investment in North Carolina and Wolf Speed. A lot of lot of great economic opportunities that we're seeing um, from the industry when they come to visit North Carolina. Look at how great we are. Um, you know, one of the, one of the two things they ask about is our infrastructure, and you know, obviously labor force being the the other. But it is it's a it's a lot. But I tell you, I have a great team. Um, they love transportation. They love our state. And uh, we're very proud of what we do each and every day. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the funding of especially the highway system. North Carolina has had a system for years where we depended on gasoline tax, uh, tax on gasoline. And that worked pretty well for a while. But as cars got more and more efficient, they got more miles per gallon. So they were buying fewer gallons of gas. They might be paying more for it, but they were buying fewer gallons of gas and still are. And uh, now we've got the EVs coming in, electric cars. So this is going to change the way that our, we fund our highways. Uh, bring us up to date on, on, on how that, that uh, transition is happening and what you see is going to be the outcome of that. Sure. Yes, sir. It's um, the gas tax is, you know, it has been a, a great friend of transportation for many years. But the disruptions that you mentioned between electric vehicles, um, hybrid vehicles and just you know more fuel efficient vehicles, along with you know other disruptions. If you look at propane, different things that we're seeing in the market um, that are trending, we, we have to be prepared in our, you know, the governor and our legislative team. You know, they all know that. We've got to do something about that, and we can't continue to kick the can down the road. So there's a lot of activity. I know we here at the department created an NC First team, a lot of policymakers and lead thought leaders to look at some options, came up with some options. Um, our General Assembly 
has done the same thing. Uh, Senator Sawyer, Senator Lazar, and Senator McGinnis have an NC-10 bill out that talks about different funding streams. Um, our House members, uh, Brendan Jones and his team, is also looking at options as well. But I think one thing they're all trying to do is to find, you know, areas of revenue where, you know, not one particular team or one particular uh, silo gets all of that um, effort on them. So they spread the wealth across everybody. Uh, so I think they're trying to be fair with the revenue uh, increases. Uh, we were very fortunate this last uh, budget session to receive um, additional funding, what I call the windshield wiper money. When they moved over, you know, some of the sales tax from the transportation related items over to uh, transportation, it's going to end up being about $600 million of additional funding over a staged amount. It was a 2%, 4%, and 6% increase over the next three years. So that has been really good for us. Um, IIJA, when you look at that or the bill, whichever you want to call it, with the federal funding we've got coming in, that's another you know, increase there, about 20% for highways and about 30% for uh, our other modes, which is uh, equates to about $400 million a year of an increase for us. So we're increasing our, our, our revenue, not to where you know, we're, we're matching what we really need, but it's an increase that's needed. Uh, we continue to talk about that increase and what else we need. So um, I think this, the transfer of the $600 million is, is a great first step, and I think our General Assembly sees that and they're looking at other options. Another thing that I guess uh, you are facing right now is inflation because what uh, roads cost to build even a year or two ago has been um, affected by the in rate of inflation. How bad is that hitting you? Yes, sir. And, it, and it's not, you know, if you look at our our construction, what we call our, our buying power uh, for DOT, um, we're seeing about a 30% increase um, over the past few years uh, where you know, it's costing us more to do business um, to help our citizens get the infrastructure that they need. And you know, our, our also, when you look at that, we've also seen uh, labor shortages. Uh, our contract partners are having you know, trouble you know, filling all of their jobs that they need to make sure that you know, they're complying with the deadlines that we put upon them. Um, and making sure that, you know, we're within budget as well. So it is, it has been something that we have kept our eye on. Uh, we, we adjust our projects accordingly. Uh, we're doing estimates now on our projects every two years because of this. Um, we did not do that in the past, but we're having to do, you know, more frequent estimates on our projects to make sure that before we let, the projects are closer to the, the accurate uh, costing that we're going to see on those bids. Well, of course, another factor is as you uh, uh, look for new roads and uh, adding to the roads that we already have, you've got to buy right away. Yes, sir. Absolutely. That's going up. <laughs> yes, sir. Real estate costs. That was very good. That's one I missed. It is uh, That is actually increased um, drastically. And our utility costs, as we move utilities, that, that's been another cost for us. Um, but it is. It, it has been something we've had to adjust uh, two, um, and the team's done a good job of making that adjustment. The other thing that is interesting to me is someone who travels on roads in and around Raleigh, where we got so much construction going on, adding lanes. Uh, mm -hmm. You're doing that while <laughs> traffic is still moving. And so you have these intermediate steps that I'm sure cost a lot of extra money because there's no other way to do it other than uh, 
uh, step one, step two, step three. Whereas if it's a brand new road, you just cut through a new area. And, and I, I suspect the road construction of brand new roads is uh, considerably less than extending uh, an extra lane to existing roads. Yes, sir, it is normally. And, you know, we'll, we have different, you know, you got different things you deal with on a, what we call a greenfield like that with a new road. But, you know, we try to not impact our traveling citizens as much as possible. We try to do a lot of that uh, work at night. Um, but we want to make sure that, you know, not only the crews are safe, but our traveling public is safe as well during those construction times. But it is, it's, uh, um, we are growing and we're trying to do everything we can to keep up with the demand. And it, it does require some on-site uh, work. A lot of times that's frustrating for our traveling citizens, but I think the end result, um, it, it makes them very happy. Well, you know, as as I said, uh, you know, as North Carolina continues to grow, and you alluded to the population increase is going to continue because it looks like everybody in the world wants to live in North Carolina. And uh, I can understand that. I look at North Carolina through uh, uh, Carolina blue eyes. I, I love the state, and, and uh, most people that live here do, and we are urging other people to move in. And as we do, we would like to provide roads for them. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Now, uh, basically, uh, inside the city limits of a town in North Carolina, what what is the role between your office and the cities inside city limits? So we it, it depends on the area. So you know, you mentioned our our biking ped, those type of things. We have a, a IMD unit, uh, our inter- integrated mobility division, that works in partnership with um, like our transit areas um, to ensure. You know, that they're, we're partnering with them and we're, you know, we're making sure that they understand the policies and procedures we have. And we're also making sure we understand their needs. Um, between that, we also have power bill funding that we support our municipalities with um, every year. And, you know, it's, it's just a lot that we do with our municipalities hand in hand and to look at, you know, their growth and anticipate what we can do. Their planning organizations. Um, we have MPOs and RPOs, or Metropolitan Planning and Rural Planning Organizations across our state that are made up of these bodies that where we work with them, not only on their local projects, but on our capital projects, our STIP projects as well. So we've got a really deep connection with our communities because we want to deliver projects that they want, they need, and they'll actually utilize. And, of course, uh, one of the other things interesting about North Carolina is we depend so much on tourism, so we've got to have good roads and good access to the areas on the coast and in the mountains uh, to handle the uh, tourists that come in our state. Yes, sir, we do. And I know, uh, you know, we hear a lot of good feedback from our um, from our traveling public that come through um, to talk about, you know, we, I, I think it makes us real proud to know that we're, we are still the great road state. Um, and we, we do, we have a lot of comment. Um, I get emails from um, from other people that are traveling through our great state talking about that and how, you know, it's just amazing and what we do. And, uh, one of the things we've been really proud of lately is ensuring that, you know, we're trying to stay ahead of the litter issue, uh, which was really tough during COVID. But I think our teams are doing a great job. Volunteers are doing a great job. We just ended our spring litter spring kick uh, kickoff uh, this past weekend, uh, and really did a good job with that. 
Of course, we go back to our, our uh, I guess, the 1940s, the late 40s, when Kerr Scott uh, built all these farm-to-city farm to roads. Uh, and so we've got one of the largest secondary road systems in the country, if not the largest. Yes, sir. Totally. Uh, we've got a total of 82,000 miles of roadway that we maintain. That's all of our roadway. And we're second only to Texas. Um, and that is because of our secondary road network where most of the other states do not maintain their secondary road network, but we do. 82,000 miles of roads in North Carolina that you maintain. And of course that doesn't include uh, the, the mileage inside city limits. No, sir. That's correct. That's what they maintain. And we wow. got 16,000 bridges that we maintain as well. 16,000 bridges, 82,000 miles of roads, and that all costs money. Yes, sir. Well, we uh, we'll, we'll probably get back to the money issues a little later on. We are going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about public transportation and the role that you see for North Carolina as it looks to handle how you move people from one place to another. With our guest, Eric Boyette, who's the North Carolina Secretary of Transportation. And uh, we will do that right after we take time out for these messages. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities. He's been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. And my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash our stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. The North Carolina Secretary of Transportation, Eric Boyette, is our guest. He's been in that role since February of 2020. And I bet you, and of course, he's been associated with the state government for longer than that. But uh, he's been the head man since uh, 2020. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about public transportation because in many areas of the country, public transportation is far more important than it has been in North Carolina. And part of that reason is because our our population is a little bit more spread out than most states. So what do you see as the role of public transportation? How are we is rail a good possibility for solving some of our problems in North Carolina? You know, there, there's a lot of opportunity between rail um, and when we talk about rail, our ridership um, is at the end of 22, we were seeing uh, you know, double digit increases in November and December 
on ridership on our Piedmont and Carolinian, you know, the train from uh, Raleigh to Charlotte um, and some going north to uh, D.C. But it, it's just amazing to watch that ridership. And in 23, we're continuing to rate those records. We're 50 percent above where we were last quarter. Um, and it's just we continue to see the, the ridership in the rail system uh, on NC by train. It's amazing to watch that. But, you know, also we look at the investment we're going to make. Uh, we're looking to create um, and complete our S line, which is the line running from the southern part of the state all the way through Sanford, through Raleigh, um, up through Henderson, up through Virginia. We've got a, a, a agreement with Virginia and then up to D.C. So we've got a lot of opportunity on rail uh, there. Uh, got a great rail director in Jason Orthner that's really, you know, pushing our ridership there. But when you talk about the other areas, the other modes uh, with IMD, the Integrated Mobility Division, we, you know, we mentioned bikes. You know, we have over 3,000 miles of, of bike routes that we maintain. And it's, you know, it's our job to make sure that we connect all that. And one of the things that the IMD group um, with Ryan Brumfield as director there, he really ensures that we're trying to look at mobility hubs. So how do you connect all these things together? Um, and one of the things that we're, we're testing is a little bit of innovation. Uh, we have a CASI, which is our uh, connected autonomous shuttle supporting innovation, where we just, uh, we, we've launched it before. Uh, we've had it out at uh, Kitty Hawk. And we've had it recently here in Cary at uh, Bond Park to allow the citizens to get on this autonomous vehicle and experience that ride themselves. Um, it's really a, a great opportunity. We're actually looking to move it over to UNC Charlotte next. Um, and it's a great partnership with Beep where, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at the next phase of the future of transportation. What does that look like? Um, bus rapid transit. Uh, is very important. I think, you know, if you look at the Wake Bus, the Wake bus Rapid Transit route, uh, that Southern Corridor project, it's another great opportunity where our team is partnered with the city, with the municipality uh, on grant funding. Uh, I think there's so many options out there. Aviation, obviously we support our aviation uh, industry, all of our airports in North Carolina. It's just a great connection when you look at it. What we're trying to do is figure out the best way to connect them all and make sure that we're providing the opportunities for our citizens to have those choices. You mentioned bus transportation. Of course, most of that is handled by the municipalities. Uh, but uh, one of the concerns that I've heard expressed about uh, buses is uh, very often they look like they're empty. How do we get more and more people to take advantage of uh, buses, bus transportation within city limits? I know that's not your primary responsibility, but it is a part of the transportation issue. It is, and it's a great question. And one of the resolutions we've had to that is something called microtransit. So what that is, think of a, a public transit that operates like an Uber. So we work with the city of Wilson first on a grant there with um, with a system that they use. Um, think of a van, a, a vehicle the size of a van. You schedule your stop, and the van rides to you and picks you up and returns you to your location um, instead of you having to go to a bus stop. So save them, um, uh, help them with their financing, uh, cut their costs and increase their ridership. So we're seeing a lot of increase in the need and the demand on the micro transit side. 
from other communities, special rural communities like you're talking about. We may see some buses that were not filled now that's switching over to some smaller, you know, in, investments. And with the BRT, you know, they're actually dedicated lines and dedicated lanes so that people know where the buses are going to be in and out. So it's um, that's another effort that's going to be going to be good for us on the bus side. Well, uh, and of course, there's also some inner city needs for bus rides. For example, uh, the UNC Chapel Hill students uh, who have the opportunity to go uh, to the Duke Library or the Duke students to the Chapel Hill Library. And of course, NC State, same thing. There's, uh, and of course, people who live in the city going to the Research Triangle. These are areas that it looks like that uh, bus transportation would work if uh, we could figure out uh, how to, once they get at their location, are they, how do they get to their work? In other words, if you are in downtown Raleigh and you got the Research Triangle, but you're still a mile away from your plant, how, what's the next step there? How do that's we cross that bridge? Yes, sir. And that's where our mobility hubs come into, you know, come into play because what would happen you know, look at um, the Charlotte Gateway Station that we're we're working with Charlotte on. So there'll be a you know a rail system that delivers you know passengers there. There'll also be a bus terminal there. You also have taxis, ride shares. All of that creates a mobility hub so that you can you know go from one destination to another destination. I look at it as a um, a way to you know you think about you buy one ticket. It's called I look at it like mobility as a service. You buy one ticket and you want to go from Manio to Murphy and you may transfer from a train over to a plane, over to a car, over to a autonomous vehicle, over to a ride share. And at the end, you get to your destination. So, you know, we've got that's the part that we're trying to look at our IMD units looking at now on that. And, you know, what does that future look like for us? Well, that's interesting that all that's being done because I'm not sure the public is as aware of that as they probably need to be because long range, we're going to have to move people quicker. You know, I'm always amazed when I go to Disney World of how they move people around down there. They've got several different ways of moving them around, but they move a lot of people uh, from one place to another very quickly. Yes, sir, they do. That's a good model. Uh, a lot of lessons, I guess, can be learned from there. So. Um, um, now the other interesting question I have about rail transportation from Raleigh to Greensboro to Charlotte, of course, is, uh, the fact that there are a lot of stops along the way. Are there any plans in the future where there would be a nonstop train to go from Raleigh to downtown Charlotte and from Charlotte to downtown Raleigh? We currently, the way, the way we're operating today, we don't own the rail track to do that. So we have to work in partnership with our CSX and Norfolk Southern partners because that's also a freight line as well. Uh, but what we're doing, we're looking at adding additional uh, routes and additional lines to, you know, instead of running four lines, we may run five lines now. So you have more frequencies. Um, so hopefully, I think in July, we may create another uh, line that we're running. So that's what we have to do currently in our situation because we don't have our, a dedicated track just for uh, light rail or commuter rail. I'm going to change the subject and talk about the global transport that was is built in and around Kinston. Uh, has that uh, what's what's the progress on that? Because that's happened a little slower than people had hoped. I think. I, you know, and I think you know, for us, what we've done. Um, 
we've really focused on the area and where the needs were. Um, and we've worked with some military partners. Um, and we have a, a team out there uh, that's working with uh, FRC East. It's a military environment that they do repair work on aircraft. Um, that's really generated a lot of volume there uh, for Global Transport. There's also a private airline um, industry in there that does uh, private jet work. Um, so things like that. And also we have another team in there that's like, I, I think of it, the best way to describe it is like Top Gun. So we've got military training in there on some of the fighter jets that allow, you know, the team to fly in and out um, and do training at the same place. And there's there's always investors coming in to GTP to look at, you know, what else is next for GTP and growth. But I think the team honing in on, you know, the military options that we have, especially with, you know, as strong as we are in North Carolina with our military uh, partners, has been a great has been a great success factor for us there, and um, it, it's always a it's always a good day when we see uh, jets flying and people moving in out of uh, out of GTP. The other thing that's interesting about North Carolina, as you pointed out earlier, we have ferries in North Carolina. How long will they be in vogue? Because that's something that uh, I think a lot of people twenty five or thirty years ago would say, well, we would be replacing them with bridges. <laughs> but uh, ferries are still in, uh, I think you said we're the largest in the country? We're the second largest behind second. Washington. Yes, sir. Washington State is the largest. But yep. yes, sir, we, you know, we, if you look at our ferry system, um, we, we carry, it's one of the things I know from a, a tourism, uh, a lot of our tourists talk about, you know, they enjoy that, that ferry ride and they, they, it's part of their, it's part of their, you know, attraction to North Carolina. I think that's one of the things that, you know, we we kind of we're proud about it. We've also added a passenger ferry service, uh, the Ocracoke Express, so that you can leave your car, you can take the Ocracoke Express over to Ocracoke and have a good day there and come back. Um, it's it's just a lot of a lot of need there, and I think, you know, last year alone we carried twenty five thousand passengers. Um, and it just really, everyone gave it a great rating. So I think that's something that we looked at and invested in, and I see a very positive result on. But as far as our car ferries, you know, we have, especially during uh, before major storms uh, or anything like that, uh, it helps us evacuate islands very safely. Um, and it's just, it's a great mode of transportation uh, where if you look at the cost of a bridge, especially in that area, um, and you look at the cost of our ferries, uh, I think we're going to get a return on the investment on that ferry three times over. Yeah, building a bridge over some of those areas is very expensive. And, of course, usually we probably uh, build a two-lane bridge, and later on we might need a four-lane bridge, and that means you're going to replace the whole thing. Absolutely, yes, sir. It, it, it can, be, uh, can be an expensive endeavor. Yeah. Um, so you, you view the... Uh, Ferry system is one that we're going to have for some time. Yes, sir, I do. I, I, I don't see, um, you know, we have to continue to replace our vessels. Um, you know, we're making some changes to, you know, the way our citizens can, you know, look at the, the, the service level of the vessel. They can reserve their reservations there, um, select the routes they're going to need and receive alerts on, you know, the status on whether the, the vessel's on time. Is it behind? Um, is it ahead of schedule? 
so they can plan accordingly. So, yeah, I, I believe we're investing enough in the ferry division. I think we're going to see that for some time to come. Our guest is Eric Boyette. He is the North Carolina Secretary of Transportation. We started off in our first segment talking about highways and roads. We switched in the second one to, to public transportation. We want to move to aviation in the next segment, and we'll do that when we take time out for these messages. And uh, we will return with Eric right after that. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Watch out! The galaxy is safe once again. In the pretend universe, kids play with pretend guns. In the real world, it's up to us to make sure they don't get their hands on a real gun. If you have a gun in the house, keep it locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Now once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Eric Boyette, who is the North Carolina Secretary of Transportation. Uh, Eric assumed that job in February of 2020. So you're into that job now about three years. So let me ask you this before we talk about uh, aviation, which is one of the areas of your concern. Uh, what has What have been the biggest surprises once you got into office that you uh, found out uh, that perhaps maybe you didn't know when you took that job? What what, what have been your surprises? That's a great question. Um, so I'll tell you, you know, I was on the job for two weeks uh, and we were, the department was in a, you know, we were not doing good financially. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, the gas taxes, you know, was our friend and we, we went through COVID with the shutdown. So nobody was driving. So our, you know, revenue really plummeted. Um, so those, you know, two to four weeks were really tough on the agency to look at revenue and how do we continue our programs? So that was something I wasn't really uh, planning on and kind of, kind of caught me off guard. Um, but you know, the thing about transportation is we're very uh, resilient and we come back strong, uh, with a great team, but I think that's probably going to be the one that, you know, I wasn't expecting, um, but you know, we, we persevered and we made the right decisions and we, we planned accordingly. And we are, we are very strong today because of that. Well, COVID was an interesting thing for all of us in uh, I mean, almost every industry, almost every business, almost every school system and so forth. We learned some great lessons out of COVID as well as uh, 
how to make some changes that were necessary because of it. But it was a certainly an interesting time, and I suspect there will be uh, books written on the effect of COVID and and how it's changed the way we operate, not only in government but also in private business. So COVID was uh, a chapter of our lives that we weren't expecting, but happened. Yes, sir. Let's, let's turn now to uh, aviation. Uh, aviation, of course, <laughs> we like to think that aviation started in North Carolina. And, <laughs> and uh, th- th- there are those who uh, uh, claim that uh, also, by the way, broadcast started in, in, in North Carolina. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Harold uh, of uh, Fessington, but Fessington invented essentially what has become modern uh, over-the-air broadcasting, uh, over-the-air transmission of sound, and he did his experiments at the same time period that the Wright brothers were doing theirs on aviation, and they were only four miles apart. Oh, wow. and interestingly enough, the uh, the uh, Department of Archives. Uh, know uh, that uh, they became friends and they exchanged Christmas cards. Uh, so Fessington, who invented uh, modern communications and the Wright brothers who invented aviation, all had their roots in the same general area in the same time period. I think that's an interesting story. It is. Well, anyway, let's talk about aviation. And we've got a couple of different kinds of aviation in North Carolina. We have the big airports and then we have uh, each each individual area has airports. So uh, what is your area of responsibility as Secretary of the Department of Transportation in the aviation area? So we own uh, we own two aircraft here for the department and you know we do a lot of drone activity too um, for our agencies and for our uh, units here in North Carolina with our department. But you know when what we do with our individual to 72 public airports uh you know we partner with them uh, we have grant opportunities for them and our municipality our municipal airports so if we looked at you know just what the impact of aviation has been in our partnership you know it it creates over almost 400,000 jobs there's you know a great uh, amount of funding that you see or revenue that's generated economic impact is over 60 billion dollars a year so just that you know that personal touch that we have uh, with our aviation directors and our contact there is really helpful um, you know we our our aircraft are used um, we have a plane that we use to fly photogrammetry it helps us before and after storms. Uh, we use that for some of our other uh, agencies. We help them with anything that they need. Uh, we also, you know, we we fly some of our staff and some of other agency staff um, to different areas as needed. So we have a, you know, kind of a, a twofold role. Um, and then we've got, you know, our unmanned program that we're working on, you know, that next chapter of what does aviation look like you know, beyond, you know, the next 15, 20 years. So we're trying to lean in on that and lead. We were the first uh, state to actually do a test flight for an unmanned uh, aircraft. And we're, we've always been leaders in our U, in our UAS program, especially on our, um, our drone. We do uh, some activities around um, bridges doing inspections now. We've got what's called a beyond approval. 
so we can look beyond a lot of sight uh, when we're doing inspections around bridge abutments and things like that. So you don't have to have traffic control on that bridge uh, with lane closures um, and you don't have any you know, worry about uh, work zones and any accidents happening. Uh, so we've got that done with a drone now. We're doing some of that. A lot of activity around the drone industry right now. Good partnerships there with our with our um, with the industry. I've read a lot of situations where people like Amazon are looking at deliveries to the home by drones. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's going to control that if and when that comes down the line? Because uh, uh, you know, in all honesty, it sort of scares me to have unmanned aircraft flying around. And they and we do that now. We've partnered with um, with Flytrex and some other companies. Uh, they're doing deliveries um, in in a few of our uh, municipality areas. They'll do food deliveries. Um, they're doing some package deliveries. And we actually started during COVID. We did some testing of you know the covid test and things like that we were flying that for some municipalities with some partners so when one of the things that we tested also was you know during emergencies you know we mentioned our ferry system you know and how they're important chain between you know barrier islands you know what happens when they can't get there so one of the things we tested was you know taking one of our drones and flying emergency goods over to the barrier islands and how would that work so we've done some tests like that and it's been really good uh, on, on how, you know, but the federal government really in the end is going to be there. You know, it's their FAA, it's their airspace. Um, but, you know, we partner with FAA very closely and um, we we consider, you know, ourselves to be in, in a good standard, a great standard with them on, on how we're managing the program and what we do. Uh you, we talked earlier, we mentioned the global transport, and it struck me when we were talking about it that a lot of people may not know the origins and the goal of establishing the transport. How about bringing us up to date a little bit for those who may be new to North Carolina about the idea of the global transport in uh, in Kinston and and. Uh, because uh, we kind of skipped over that when we were talking about it. So it might be a good lesson for those who are new to the state to understand what that uh, that uh, concept is. Sure. So it's a it's a 2000, about 2,500 acre um, park that is it's multimodal. So if you look at it, it's an industrial park and an airport. Uh, it offers, you know, access for air, rail, highways, um, and two of our international ports that we've got uh, that we didn't talk about yet, but we can. Um, but it's, it's definitely, you know, more of a pro by, uh, business climate where a lot of our industries like aerospace, logistics, um, manufacturing, emergency services, that's where uh, we were trying to look at how do we blend that, you know, all together when you're very close to interstates 95 and 40 um, in the future, I-42, U.S. 70. Um, so all of that blending together and on the eastern side of North Carolina. And, you know, for us, it's been a it's been a good win on the military investment that we're making, the partnerships there we have. And it's growing, you know, the manufacturing side is what we're seeing now. Interesting. Uh, and uh, I think uh, generally speaking, that prox- as we said earlier, that that. Uh, uh, the progress on that has been a little slower than people expected, but it still has a bright future. And and I think it's something that can be really great for North Carolina because it allows a company to be able to fly right up to their 
their opening to their plant. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Any manufacturing facility they need, um, you know, it, it's it's a great opportunity. Um, and we're seeing a lot, you know, because there's room there. Like I said, with 2,500 acres, um, there's a lot of growth potential there. Um, new hangar construction, uh, they're the things that we're seeing now that people, you know, are looking for, to your point, um, to come in, you know, have goods locally drop there. And then they may, you know, they may ship them out of rail. They may ship them out, you know, through truck. But it's a great, uh, great opportunity there for us. You mentioned future interstate highways. I, from time to time, as you're riding around, you'll see a sign that says "future I whatever." Uh, tell me what that means, and how long will it be before those are brought up to interstate standards? So it depends. Um, so the reason how the designation happens is we look at that corridor um, and we request it to be identified um, through um, our association of, highway, of highways or AASHTO uh, association. We have to have approval from AASHTO and our federal partners on that future designation. And you know it could be, it depending on where that uh, program is or that road network is in our STIP, our capital program, you know, that's where it depends on how long it'll be before we have to upgrade it to interstate standards. So that's why it says future, because it currently is not at interstate standards. So we have to move that roadway up to interstate standards. So um, interstate standards would mean no stoplights and, uh, and no, no at grade. Yes, sir. No at grade intersections, no signals. You want everything to smoke, to flow very smoothly. Uh, and just, you know, that's, that's the main, that's a great way to, to phrase it. So that's, so uh, that's going to be expensive bring some of those up uh you're gonna have a lot of interchanges to build bridges and so forth and some of them are some of them really yeah. are you you know we ha always have to look at our environmental issues that we have around and make sure we're we're being very you know environmental friendly and what we do and safe um but some of the interchanges we can you know can close and some of them we do have to either build um you know, full interchanges or we bridge uh, the route over. So one of the two, uh, you know, are the way that we upgrade those standards. And you also mentioned the word ports a little earlier. We have two ports that are of importance and they're very important to our economy. Port at yep. Morehead City and the port at Wilmington. We also have an inland uh, port in Charlotte. So we have a, a Charlotte inland terminal that is considered a port. So all three of those are part of our North Carolina port system. An inland port? Tell me about that. I've never heard of an inland port. Yes, sir. So we have a, a port, uh, inland port in Charlotte. So basically it's a rail. If you think about it, it's a large rail facility that often onloads uh, these, you know, containers that we're seeing, you know, moving cargo back and forth. So it's a great, you know, part of our investment here in North Carolina. But, you know, we see about 4 million tons of general cargo a year going through our port system. And about a thousand ships a year call on our ports. Um, and we're seeing, you know, one of the biggest increases on, you know, our port system that we've ever seen. And we set capacity records the past few years. And we're seeing a lot of investment too. We're investing a lot in our ports and we're seeing a lot of return on that investment. And it's just really great to see what we do each and every day. Now, the port at Wilmington is still big, much bigger than the port in uh, Moorhead City. Is that correct? Yes, sir. That is correct. 
we're we're adding on into both locations. The one in Moorhead, we're adding uh, square footage for uh, some warehousing there. And the one in Wilmington, we are actually, we've done a new gate operation system and we're actually moving the gate to a different location further down for a little easier in and out for our trucking industry. And of course, Wilmington has an, an interstate highway right up to it. So that makes that one uh, uh, very important to our state's economy. Well, interesting. We've got one more segment. We want to talk about the General Assembly and what they are looking at as far as uh, how to fund all these projects and what other projects they might have in mind. Uh, as we talk with our guests, the North Carolina Secretary of Transportation, Eric Boyette. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo. GOAT, G O A T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time. As in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit adoptuskids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Eric Boyette, uh, the North Carolina Secretary of Transportation, is our guest. So we talked about uh, transportation covers so many areas. It covers not only uh, aviation, uh, highway system, ferries, rail, public transit, bicycle, pedestrian transportation, and so forth. Um, so, and also the Department of Motor Vehicles, which we didn't talk about, which is also very important. But Eric, uh, one of the things that you do so often is you, you spend time at the General Assembly. They're in session, they're looking at legislation, and they're looking at your funding. So bring us up to date on exactly where you stand as far as new legislation and also uh, how you stand on uh, your budget request. Absolutely. Yes, sir. We've, uh, you know, we 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 stay in touch with our General Assembly members uh, almost daily uh, during this time of year. And uh, we our the budget, the House budget rolled out, the governor's budget. We had um, you know some increases in things we needed there, and the House budget came out and really did a great job for us on what we call general maintenance reserve or GMR. Which, if you look at, you know, we talk about our capital program and how many roads we're going to build and the the things that we're looking for, like we talked about earlier about new roads. But we also have to think, you know, if every new road we build, we also need to have money to maintain that road. And that's what the GMR fund does for us. Um, 
and you know representative jones brendan jones and his team really uh helped us a lot on that and resurfacing the items that you know we need uh to keep our road system the great road state uh, so that's been very positive um we you know as with everything uh and now it is you know in the senate's hand for them to uh have their their transportation budget come out and we're eagerly awaiting that uh, we've had good conversations about you know what our needs are there and um you know we we've got a great partnership there with uh senator tom mcginnis and senator vicky sawyer and senator mike lazara um and senator bill raven and just you know how you know what transportation is doing today what we need to be doing where we you know where can we move um, based on the funding levels that we need to operate um, each and every day we talked about you know our population growth and we all know that you know, our roadways are will become more strained as we see those 14 you know, million people in 2050. And we've got to prepare today for that because, you know, our roadways, unfortunately, they don't get built in one year. It takes time. Um, and, you know, we've got a plan today for that future. So what are some of the major projects that you uh, have on on schedule and uh, what will they serve? Uh, when will they start? Will, when will they be finished? Oh, wow. Um, that's, <laughs> that's a loaded question. Yeah, that is. Uh, I, I, there's, we have, uh, we have about a 32 billion, 30, excuse me, $37 billion worth of projects, um, in our draft step this year. So, uh, I don't know that I can tell you each and every one of them. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but we have, what I'll tell you we do is we work with our MPOs, the metropolitan planning organizations and the rural planning organizations on their needs. You know, they actually plan and tell us um, what their needs are. And then together we prioritize and work through that list. And that's where, you know, we really get involved, but we always, you know, it's not a transportation decision on, what people need in their areas. We've made sure through our our STIP and our STI laws that, you know, it is a local decision. Um, there's some things going on, you know, where the locals always get that decision. That MPO team and RPO teams are the ones that make those decisions. We're here to make sure we execute on their needs. Um, and that's where, you know, the partnership is so critical for us. Let's talk a little bit about toll roads. I guess you would have to say that North Carolina has put their toe in the water as far as toll roads. What's been our experience so far? And do you see a future for more toll roads in North Carolina? You know, we've got three facilities now with Monroe, uh, 77 Express Lanes, and the Triangle Expressway. Um, and, you know, during COVID, just like everywhere, they, we did see a, a dip in uh, revenue there. But honestly, they, they are back very strong um, and the facilities are in great shape. I think that's one thing that, you know, as you mentioned, you know, we're, we don't have a lot of toll roads. But I think now people are realizing that, you know, the fares, you know, the fees that they're paying, the toll you know, fees that we pay, they're not extravagant. And they know that, you know, they will be they will be moving versus sitting in traffic. And I think people are realizing that, you know, for two or three dollars, five dollars, um, for me, it may be worth it to pay to get in that lane and move versus sit still. But, you know, it is still, you know, something new to North Carolina, honestly. And when we talk about tolling in a different areas, uh, sometimes it's not, you know, it's not <laughs> well received. 
but what we try to do is put all the tools on the tool on the in our toolbox on the table so that they know every option they have um, and we do get some unsolicited proposals from time to time we've had unsolicited unsolicited proposals for um, i-77 south and also for a replacement of the wilmington bridge every cape fear so both of those you know could be tow options um, and you know 77 south will be because it's in our step programmed as a uh, toll road but you know it depends on how you want to look at the toll delivery um but it's it's an uh, it is a, a tool in our toolbox and you know we we're glad we have the, all the tools we have what are the uh, projects in mind for i-95 in north carolina Yes, right now we have uh, we have a project going on in the southern part of our uh, state uh, where we're doing uh, for resiliency. Uh, we're widening and elevating 95 uh, through Cumberland, part of Johnston, and further down south, um, widening uh, that section of roadway and also elevating it, like I mentioned, because we did have, during Florence, we had uh, major flooding issues in that area. Uh, so trying to be resilient when we build that roadway back, uh, that was part of a, a grand opportunity and part of our, our, our funding here we had within the state. Uh, so uh, with 82,000 miles of roads that, are, that you're taking care of uh, and 16,000 bridges, which will wear out from time to time and need to be repaired, uh, have you looked? Uh, I'm sure you have. Uh, I don't know if you got the number I'm going to ask you about, but have you looked at what our uh, bill is going to be for the next 20 years as far as how much money we're going to have to spend to maintain these 82,000 miles uh, and the 16,000 bridges? Yeah, it, we don't plan, you know, for the dollar amounts for a 20-year out. Honestly, what we try to do is you know, we we have an allocation that we receive from the General Assembly on our you know our maintenance budget for those items for bridge and for uh, just our general maintenance reserve for for roadways. And what we do, we look at you know we have what's called a pavement condition survey that we have completed, and we rank those those routes in that order, and that's how the repaving uh, factor happens. And you know, we look at you know what what we have and what we need but the, the problem we we have is you know we we really can't you know we can't predict all those maintenance needs so what we do we take the funding we have and we apply that to the needs we know we have and make sure we're spending those dollars efficiently um, and in the best way for the taxpayers we talked about this a little bit earlier but i want to get a little bit more clarification on it um, the cars that use gasoline, of course, are paying in by gasoline tax per gallon. How are you going to tax the people who have EV cars, electronic cars? Yeah, that's a, I think that's the uh, that's the twenty million dollar question that nobody can answer. Um, all of our states are looking at that. We've, you know, we're part of a, a coalition uh, with other states. Uh, the Transportation Coalition, Eastern Transportation Coalition, where, you know, we've piloted things like um, miles-based user fee to see, you know, how would that work? Uh, we've had citizens volunteer, you know, and they can see what those differences are. And then, you know, we, we've we done different things, you know, looking at the future, uh, talking to our partners, talking to our, 
you know, electricity, you know, the co-ops, um, our, our power you know, partners and what they see coming. And then also the private industry. What, what does private industry see? You know, you got to think it's hard to believe, but you think back during horse and buggy, they didn't have gas pumps. So now we're trying to re-visualize re that as, okay, now we don't have as many electric charging stations as we need. So what, what do we need to do to do that? Just like they did around, you know, the gas stations as we see today prevalent. So that's the things that we're trying to do and partner with our private industry on what does that look like, need to look like for us for the future. Of course, uh, we, we talk about, I think most of us think about uh, automobiles as being vehicles, but we also, of course, have a tremendous amount of freight being moved by by truck and uh, the trucking industry. And so they become very, very interested in all these issues. Uh, and I guess that's going to get even greater as we grow into that population range of 14 million that you talked about by the year 2050. Yes, sir, it is. And and we're, you know, we have a great association, trucking association here in North Carolina that we meet with um, and talk through you know, issues they're seeing. We talk about the future of transportation and what what we see. So it goes back. I think for me, it, it's the, the big thing for us is to have great partnerships because, you know, we don't sell cars. We don't, you know, we don't really technically build roads um, and we have to be good partners. And we have to have good partners to, for our citizens to be successful. And that's what we do each and every day. And that's what we have to continue to do in the future, especially with our, you know, if you look at the cargo that's going to have to be moved uh, either by rail, by truck or by plane, you know, we've got to be there and be that partner on all those modes. Well, Eric, we've got about a minute and a half, and I'm going to ask you to give me the top five projects or priorities that you have on your calendar as you will go to work, say, tomorrow morning. Uh, what are the top five things on your agenda? So I think for me, the first one's always safety. Safety is number one with, with us, with the department. Um, we always you know, create safe environments and continue to look at new ways to create safe environments. The second is going to be funding. Uh, especially right now with our General Assembly partners in town, that's that's going to be number two for me. Uh, and I think the third is customer service. Uh, we we didn't talk about DMV, but you know that's one uh, one of our units that you know we're trying to make some changes there and increase our our customer service side of the house. Um, and then I'm going to say it, and Donya, I think I've said it a hundred times, but I don't know if I can say it. 120 times is still that important for me as partnerships. We have to have great partnerships to be successful. Um, and we're going to continue to do that. And just, you know, I think the fifth one would be, you know, have patience. I think for me, that's something I've had to learn the older I get. I've got to figure out ways to be more patient. Um, it's hard to do, but I think that's what I try to do each and every day as my as I grow older. Well, that's like the person who prays for patience. And he says, uh, give me patience and give it to me right now. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I think we all have that problem. Eric, thank you so much for sharing with us. Eric Boyette, the North Carolina Secretary of Transportation, has been our guest. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com or if you'd like to share it with a friend. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. And uh, our program has been produced. Jason Cock and he'll have another guest for us next week. So until next week on the same group of stations, hope you and yours have a very good week. 
Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.